it is often said that free speech is the cornerstone of any well-functioning democracy. But what good does free speech serve when many of our disagreements come down to well-engraved intuitions? Where do we need to agree if we are to even come to the table? We here at Lawrence Talks thought it best to make these the first questions of our first podcast. Welcome everyone. I am your host, David Tamez. My guests today are Dr. Luke Murray of the St. Lawrence Catholic Center and Michael Audison, a PhD candidate in philosophy. Before we get into our discussion today, you might be wondering, who are we? Dr. Luke, let's begin with you. Sure, thanks, David. Um, So, uh, I am the theologian here at the St. Lawrence Catholic Center. I myself am Catholic. I guess, if you will, I studied philosophy in my undergraduate studies, then theology for my master's, and I have two PhDs, one in systematic theology and one in historical theology of the Reformation period. Um, in general, I'm from a much more conservative background, obviously religious background, unlike um, David and Michael here. So I'm very uh, excited about this uh, podcast because I really think that we need to give an example and a witness to how to have these type of reasoned discussions, dialogues, um, even debates to show the, the, the broader culture and public at large um, how to actually have a conversation, especially when you disagree on important issues. Uh, we've seen so much fighting and, and you know politicization of our culture, um, but as a Christian, as a Catholic, as I hope to explain going forward, you know, Christians should have, in a sense, the most, the most um, urgent desire, if you will, to come to these discussions, which unfortunately doesn't appear to be the case. So that's a little bit about my background. I will get into it more, but if you want to go, Mike? Yeah, so uh, I uh, was actually raised in a religious uh, background, and I went to college at Utah State University. Um, and I kind of went through a crisis of faith, and I became increasingly interested in uh, big foundational questions. So I started out as a history major and added philosophy and religious studies to that uh, because I'm very interested in truth. I'm interested in the good, uh, what it means to live a good life. Uh, And I found in my undergrad experience that there was a rich collection and diversity of different opinions uh, about these topics. So you had conservative Catholics, you had liberal atheists, you had conservative and liberal Mormons, uh, you had evangelical Christians, and it was all kind of a mix, a part of a, uh, that contributed to, I think, uh, an intellectual environment where people learned a lot, where they changed their minds at points about serious fundamental issues where they, even if they didn't change their minds, they became more sophisticated uh, in in their own positions. And I guess, uh, you know, as, as my background, I'm now getting a PhD in philosophy uh, and I am very interested in uh, the human good and I think the human good is reason and 
Uh, that's why I'm here today. I think it's good for people to engage in rational discourse and try to come at the truth. And I think it's, in addition for being, it's intrinsically good. I think it's good for society and, and, and really foundational for a liberal democracy. If you're going to have a society in which people get to decide and think for themselves about these issues, uh, you have to have some sort of civil discourse. And I think uh, in our current culture, people are losing confidence in that. And I think we should be aware of kind of the consequences of sacrificing that and what that would mean for, for our society and our, our way of life. Okay, good. In, in my uh, background, uh, I mean, like I think of Mike and... Um, was also very much religious. I, I grew up in uh, the Catholic uh, tradition. Uh, my mother was uh, a religious education teacher. Um, I was an altar boy um, and also served as a greeter with, with my uh, grandfather and our family. Uh, so there was, there, I do have um, you know, this, this very uh, strong strain of, of Catholicism and, uh, and, and this, this comes out a little bit every now and then. Um, but at one point in, in, in my life, I, um, and maybe for better for, uh, or maybe I was wrong for this um, and, and thinking this, but uh, I, I wanted to explore uh, what sort of truths I could come to um, without relying too much on um, Catholic doctrine, uh, religious doctrine, um, and, and see where that I were in in that sort of exploration where that would take me, um, and to a certain extent I'm not I'm not uh, I don't consider myself a strong atheist. It's more of a um, methodological atheism. I just want to see where these sort of questions take me, where these um, discussions take me. Um, but at the very end, I, I rely on this sort of common sense notion of um, doing well. Uh, to others um, in ways that are, are very uh, simple um, and don't require a great deal of um, deliberation. Um, like something as simple, uh, it can be something as simple as um, uh, holding the door open for, for anyone that's behind you. That seems very common sense. He doesn't need an argument for it. It's just sort of something helpful. Um, or Donating or being part of a cause that uh, can have great effect on, on that community. Um, it just seems uh, it, to me intuitionally uh, good for somebody to do uh, to better uh, where they are, to leave the place where they are uh, better better off. Um, and with that, it, it's philosophy very uh, seemed very uh, natural to me or some, some, a very natural topic to get into. Um, because I think everything else was uh, sort of even the practice of the more pragmatic or technical areas. They're interesting. They're fun. I mean, you can create things with them, and you can do a lot of creation within those fields. Um, but philosophy seemed much more um, meaningful, and uh, and maybe that's that's part of my uh, Catholic background is having sort of uh, find this sort of meaningful work, um, and so. I, my interest bore out of this wanting to help people um, think better, especially those who don't have time uh, to consider these issues, uh, like the working father, the working mother, um, 
and I thought that there's, if there's any way that I could uh, interact with them and, or help them, um, that, that's, that's what I want to do. And this, in part, is why um, Lawrence Talks uh, was created, um, was to have these discussions not for ourselves, not for people in academia, um, but for people who uh, don't have the time necessarily to learn these topics, to uh, educate, uh, be educated by, by the academy, um, but we can at least listen or at least read uh, every now and then our discussions and hopefully get something out of that, uh, out of these, out of these discussions. And that's, and so that's the purpose of, of Lawrence Talks is to model and um, present these discussions in a very respectful and very orderly and uh, analytical way um, and without too much uh, complexity um, and to the point where people can't understand what's going on or what they're reading, but in a clear and concise, uh, concise way where they can get some, uh, some information out of it or some sort of uh, value from it. Um, and, and so today, today's discussion, I want to sort of uh, turn on this question of is there any value or uh, hope that what we are doing, namely having these long-form uh, informed discussions about some fundamental, about fundamental topics, uh, about uh, sometimes political topics, um, not necessarily to come to a, a full stop agreement about, uh, about these issues, but to at least engage with one another to see um, what our thoughts are, where we're coming from, is there any uh, sort of uh, value or, or rightness to, or correctness to our way of thinking, or someone's way of thinking. Um, and we can't do that unless we, we talk with one another. So Mike and Luke, I, I, I just sort of um, start a conversation there. Um, is there any value to what we want to do, what we're trying to do? Yeah, I think that's 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 a fantastic question, David, uh, and and perhaps is the question for our society right now, uh, because I think there are a number of people in the academy and perhaps in society generally that think the answer to this question is no, uh, and I'm glad that we're starting our podcast series off with this topic because we have. Uh, so-called discussions in our society about immigration or tax reform, health care, uh, you know, civil liberties. And, and the only reason that those kinds of things can take place is because of certain deeper assumptions that exist before, prior to that. Like, you, in other words, you have to believe in these assumptions if you're going to have discourse about politics. And in order to have discourse about politics that gets at the truth, you have to believe that it's possible. And I think there are lots of people who don't think that it's possible. And I don't know exactly whether or not it's worthwhile to try and like unpack the intellectual genealogy of why people in our society uh, don't think that discourse is possible. But I think that's something important that we all need to ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of discourse? What is the purpose of dialogue between individuals? There's a number of ways of kind of 
thinking about that, but there seems to be two obvious answers to me, or at least perhaps there's other answers, but these are two prominent ones that, that I think we need to think through. One is that discourse or dialogue is a way, a, a way of getting at the truth with other people such that we can present reasons to each other. And because we're rational creatures that are reason responsive, such that if I present you with a some sort of argument or if I present you with evidence that undermines your position, you're going to be forced to change your mind. I mean, just as, as the nature... You, if, if I demonstrate to you that a shape that you think is a circle is actually a square and I can show you pictures of it, you can't help but change your mind. It's not possible for you to continue belie- believing the falsity in fa- the face of overwhelming evidence. That would be an example of a simple example of discourse aimed at truth and this idea that there's a world out there, there's a reality and we have our own perceptions and ideas, and there can be a mismatch between those things. But at the same time, we have the capability of understanding reality and using sound argumentative practices and responsible evidence gathering and all these other methods and and logic and all these, these things to get at the truth to better understand that reality. So that would be one model of discourse. And the other model of discourse is the idea that discourse is about power. It's about exerting influence over other people. So this kind of theory would assert that people are fundamentally not rational and perhaps are never rational. In the same way that rocks and trees are not rational. They just kind of do what they do. In the case of living organisms, there's various, there's a number of ways you could flesh this out, whether or not you want to say Uh, human beings are only concerned with social status or their position within groups, Uh, if we're we're just kind of glorified chimpanzees uh, that that just compete with each other in a kind of dominance hierarchy, Uh, if we're simply reducible to our neurochemistry and neurobiology such that that's what determines what we think and believes in the same way that... um, uh, a, a river's chemistry or physics determine the way that it flows, and that, of course, has nothing to do with reason. It has everything to do with physics. If you believe something like this, you've got to ask yourself, uh, what's the point of discourse? Because some people, I think, openly recognize that they believe this about discourse, that it's nothing about truth, it's only about power, and they act accordingly they use discourse as a way of persuading. We can think of something like advertising as an example of this. Advertising almost always plays on people's rationalities. The, 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 the you know, obviously people are sometimes rational, but, uh, uh, or excuse me, sometimes people are irrational, but, but when you look at advertising, it's almost entirely geared towards that, so it's just a tool of persuasion. If you look at also this idea of, of you know, shaming people or rewarding people with, with reputation or, or some sort of esteem based on what they say, that's a way of thinking about discourse as a means to power. You're trying to change people's behavior uh, via, again, you know, playing on their kind of... Uh, need for social recognition. So so this group, I think, we're all coming to the table with the assumption that discourse as a way to truth is possible. 
And really, there's nothing to talk about if discourse is just a way to power. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent point, Michael. Uh, you really do uh, present those well. And I think we could go back to Aristotle versus the Sophist, mm, ultimately, absolutely. because that's really where he, he first brings this out. Uh, and I'm not sure if you want to get into that, but as you mentioned, if you disagree that discourse is geared towards truth, well, what are you going to do? Because you've already said that you know, words, the search for truth, reason isn't really anything substantial. So you can't respond back to the person you disagree with. The only thing you can do is punch him in the face, you know, or use force or violence if you don't think that's really possible. Or, or use various persuasion techniques that, that you think are going to be effective. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, as a Christian, as a, as a Catholic myself, of course, um, and indeed a large part of our, our society, our country, does identify with Christianity. Um, ultimately, we, we should be the first at the table, so to speak, because we are indeed realists in the, in the most ultimate sense. Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the Logos. He is God's reason itself through whom he created the world and sustains the world. And so rather than being you know, afraid to get into dialogue or discussion, Christians really should be the first um, to raise these questions, to answer uh, you know, people, opponents criticizing Christianity or asking questions. We should, be, we should have this confidence as Christians uh, to step forward um, and I know there's different traditions here involved, but in the Catholic tradition, there's a strong emphasis that God you know, is truth. God is one. He cannot contradict himself. And so what he has revealed and what he has given us with this gift of reason, we believe that he wants us to use it to the fullest extent possible. And that what we can know with reason, with this natural gifts that we have been created with, um, can never contradict what God also has revealed by revelation. So there's this view in Catholicism that we have nature and grace, they cannot contradict each other. You know, this is different in certain Protestant traditions or in Islam, of course. Um, but I just wanna start by saying that Christians, we need to have more confidence in the power of reason. Um, and I'll just, I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, no, this is, uh... This is good because it, what the concern is, and, it, and it just to bring it out more, so there's um, one text in, in my mind is uh, Jason Brennan's Against Democracy, um, which points to empirical uh, evidence that um, these sort of maybe town hall events or these uh, gathering of people to have these discussions um, have very little uh, effect in terms of what people believe at the end of the day that yes, they come together for these for these discussions, but they all eventually go home, uh, maintaining the beliefs that they came that they came to the table with. Um, and while while reason is, is should uh, believing in reason and believing in the in the uh, efforts that we're trying to do here with our discussions, that they can be fruitful is important. There's some uh, sort of empirical evidence to show that what moves people so argumentation is one thing and, and, and proving somebody wrong is one thing um, but convincing um, or having them actually act from that being convinced is seems to be something harder 
because people aren't moved by rational discourse, they're not moved by rational argumentation, um, that at the end of the day, the passions are what rule people's actions. That people, locomotion, the, the way they move, is brung out not by perceiving some um, argument, at least in, unless we start off from that, uh, that belief that we should change our mind when we're faced with an argument that proves us wrong. Um, we seem to have, have to believe in something like that already, um, but it seems like uh, evidence shows that people aren't moved by that. So what's, what solution is there uh, to this uh, apart from uh, limiting access to these discussions or only having these discussions with uh, people who are willing to change their mind um, because it seems like who we want to reach isn't just those who uh, are willing to come to the table but also those who um, find it difficult or are unwilling uh, to change their minds uh, in light of uh, superior arg arguments and also in, in building our arguments how do we how do we uh, so that's let's, let's start there what's uh, what can we what can be done uh, in light of the fact or what seems to be the fact that people aren't moved by argumentation rational argumentation yeah I, I think it's uh, I'm glad, David, that you brought up these these sorts of studies, and I think they're important to think through uh, because I think, actually, oftentimes when you see these studies, I'm actually not impressed with the kind of methods that they use to allegedly like show people that something is true or false in a political context. Uh, first off, what one thing is these studies I think are rarely longitudinal, such that. You know, I know as someone who's changed his mind substantially about his worldview that it wasn't the first conversation that did that, or it wasn't even, maybe it was the first conversation, but it took me months uh, to, to really come around on that topic. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think a lot of people have that experience such that uh, changing one's orientation is not simply, you know, a matter of being presented with evidence or arguments once. Uh, and, and that's not even irrational because, you know, when we have worldviews and beliefs and, and ideas about where correct beliefs come from, if we find a piece of evidence that doesn't cohere with the rest of our belief system, we are understandably skeptical of that. Now, maybe over time we realize that this piece of evidence indeed can undermine the broader kind of outlook or worldview that we have. But it's not necessarily, I think, cause for despair that the way that some people present these sorts of studies uh, to suggest that, oh, people are just irrational. No, no, no. I think people are complicated. I think that rationality, to, to your point, how to get people to be better at this, is a skill. It's a craft. I know that Aristotle um, conceives of rationality as, a, as, as not exactly a craft. He has a different word for that, but, but akin to it in the sense that it takes practice and habituation. In the same way that, you know, if you want to be a good carpenter, if you want to be a good mason, if you want to be a good plumber, you need to practice. If you want to be good at discourse, rational discourse, you need to practice. And that's what I'm hoping to do here is I want to continuously practice with, you know, as for myself, to be better 
at the skill of reason, the skill of discourse, uh, because it's not something that we can just, I think, take for granted. It's it's like anything else. It takes hard work. Um, and and I guess it just as since this is a podcast of trying to like perhaps demonstrate why you should even try to do something like this, I think most people ask yourself, you know, is what I believe true? <laughs> Do, is I what I believe right now rational? Because I think it's a little weird if you think otherwise. Because you're essentially saying then that you believe things that you don't think are true. And I don't think that's even possible. And so therefore, you must have reasons for your belief. You think they're true. Your beliefs are true. Can you maybe give a definition of truth? Because it's such right. a mm. difficult concept. Very. As I, as I understand it, your truth is, at least traditionally... Conformity of the mind with reality, so it's the way that things are. Yes, that's but, Aristotle's definition. Right, but in the in a modern context and postmodern context, if you will, we've lost faith in our mind's ability to know truth, to know something outside of our minds. Yeah, I, and just to respond to that, so so if you look at someone who's highly skeptical of that proposition, and I, I know that I'm sure if there are Foucault scholars listening to this, they would hate my <laughs> characterization of him, and we can fight about that later, but Foucault would be an instance of a philosopher, a post-structuralist, very skeptical of the notion of truth. Now, the thing about this position is it's self-refuting. He's telling you, I mean, again, this is almost a parlor trick on his part. He's telling you that he's looked at the evidence. I've looked at the, you know, you can look at his debate with Chomsky. He talks about the nature of science. I've looked at the history of science, and I can tell you right now that, like, science isn't a tool for getting at, you know, truths about the physical world. It's just some sort of social construct designed to produce knowledge that, that benefits certain structures or institutions within society. Look closely at what he did there. He told you something, purported to tell you something objective about the world. He said, I've looked at the history of science. Oh, have you? Because I was under the impression that knowledge was just a social construct that has no bearing, nothing, and nothing to do, no bearing on reality and nothing to do with reality. So if you believe, if you have a positive belief that it's impossible to come to, to, to truth via discourse, you are making an objective claim about the world that is either true or it is false. And if it's false, then it should be rejected. And if it's true, then I have no idea how you arrived at that proposition in the first place. Because how would you know that? No, excellent. And I, and I think you really do have to start with this belief that truth is indeed possible, that we can indeed know it. But that leads to another question, this availability or you know, who has the time? You know, in our culture, in our society, where you're working nine to five or maybe even more, you know, I think we need to talk maybe later about cultural changes, um, you know, so we can give people the opportunity to come into contact with other views in a long format, rather than just the social media or 125 characters of Twitter or whatever it is. Um, you know, the Greeks, they had the forum, but this leads to another discussion. Who is it only those who are educated, who have the time, that can really know these things? Are they the ones that should have the power to vote, for instance? For much of Western civilization, it was only, well, unfortunately, white landowners who were educated, or, or the majority class, you know, and the poor, the working class, even women, they didn't have the time 
and there's a lot of bias and prejudice uh, involved with that. Uh, so this availability uh, I think is really key as well as I would say this initial goodwill. Um, so in addition to the possibility of coming to know truth, actually sitting down with someone who maybe you don't know what they stand for, maybe you know that they stand for something completely opposite of what you hold, requires an initial goodwill. That is an initial openness to hear what they have to say. And if we don't have that, then you're going to take whatever they say through your own filter, so to speak, and that's going to lead you to a straw man argument. And by a straw man argument, I mean an argument that's intentionally or not faulty. It doesn't represent your opponent's views accurately. So what this does, and we see it on both sides of the political spectrum, they present a caricature of the other side's arguments. So then when their side hears it, well, it's like, oh, how do they believe this? This is ridiculous. It just further entrenches this divide. And so, for example, St. Thomas Aquinas always starts by giving his opponent's view in the most strongest possible way, with the strongest arguments, so that um, he's not refuting a straw man. He's actually heard what the person has said, understands it, and presents it in a faithful way. Um, but in our current climate with social media, you know, when you only have a certain amount of time, it's really difficult, I think, to accurately understand and portray what the other side is saying. No, I think I think that's this is all right, and um, I think that that'd be another good discussion to have in the future is namely um, what is truth and why is it important, um, because it. It seems like it's some, it is something that needs to be on the forefront of everyone's mind. That um, what, is, what is it exactly that they're taking to be true, and, and why are they taking it to be true? What are they uh, relying on? What sort of evidence or reasons are they relying on? Um, one one worry that I, I wanted to point out, especially in this discussion about that reason is this sort of, or in reasoning uh, is a skill that needs to be developed and needs to be um, sort of. Uh, Brought, brought out and developed over time, um, like any other skill, as you mentioned, Mike. Um, one worry, and this is sort of a worry that uh, Jonathan Haidt brings up, that, uh, and this sort of turns on the idea of, of that intelligence matters, that, it, it, that um, the more you learn, the more rational be you become, the more um, well uh, sort of well-rounded you become. Are these, are these the studies where the smarter you are, the better you are justifying your own opinions? Correct. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and so that, there's that worry that um, maybe it, it, it sort of in, in theory, it's, it, it seems right that we should develop our reasoning capacities. We should develop um, the way we give arguments and how we argue. Um, but it seems like in, in practice, uh, and so these are these are two sort of, two sort of worries that, you know, um, it might be true that in practice that this is the case, but in, but, in that, but we should still maintain this uh, this insistence. So I think there's there's this for some reason there's this move that oh in practice this is what actually people do and therefore we should abandon this initial this initial uh, move. Um, but that might that's that strikes me as wrong. Um, but I want to speak to or at least speak about the worry itself that. Um, 
even if people do develop this reasoning capacities, they uh, still end up uh, using them uh, for their not their, necessarily their own ends, and not, and not necessarily in a in a um, sort of selfish or egoistic way, but um, they still have these bedrock assumptions, these very foundational different assumptions, um, and once they form those, they end up using the information or their, their, the skills that they developed to further reinforce those beliefs rather than furthering questioning those, those beliefs. Now, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I've heard uh, one example you know, of changing your mind versus changing your life is if you're going to uh, maybe clean out your closet. Let's say it's filled with all this junk. It's, all, it's a huge mess in there. But the things that are way in the back, you know, that you want to move out of there, well, it requires moving everything else in front of it so that you can get to the back of the closet to clean it out. So when we ask you know, someone to change their mind on a really foundational issue that they really, that they live their life by, you know, there's a lot of stuff that would require being changed. That, you know, that's going to take time, as you said, Mike, and you don't just flip a switch, right. you can't just clean the back of the closet out, you've got to deal with the, these other interior uh, issues, these issues that come before these really foundational ones. And it's threatening too. If you're saying, no, you're wrong, you're in a sense questioning a position that is so foundational to their life, it's, it's hard not to be offended. Um, so that's why I was saying this initial goodwill, traditionally Christianity has tried to make the distinction between loving the person but hating the sin or if you will separating the person's views and their indeed which can be right or wrong their errors from the person themselves so uh, we, would, we would we would hate the error because it can be right or wrong but we would always love the person who's committing the error now this is very difficult uh, at times because we often identify so strongly with a certain position but that's um, kind of been the foundation of Christianity's approach to to error and of course we talk about heresy as well that's uh, another thing and you can go you know often Christian Christians have often forgotten this distinction as well unfortunately but yeah how can we be respectful have initial goodwill but yeah also being, if you will, intolerant of error, or at least things that we can show that is wrong factually. I think that's an important uh, distinction. Yeah, I, I think uh, Jonathan Haidt's concern, yes, is an interesting one, because you, because the idea that you get, I forget the term exactly, it's like smart idiots, because it's, it's people oftentimes who know less about a subject that are more persuadable on it, uh, as opposed to experts, who, who the concern is, we all we've done is is, is with with them is they've they've just figured out how to justify whatever previous position they had. Uh, I think there's first off, I would like to endorse Jonathan Haidt's solution to that, which is to have not you as an individual are not rational. Perhaps groups or institutions can be rational, and I think now that's a further epistemic problem because, of course, if you're not rational as an individual, why would you trust institutions? Uh, you know, on the basis of the evidence or whatever, so 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 that's that's its own problem. But of course, there's there's obviously something right about that. That if you want to get at truth, 
Uh, and if you want to be rational, you probably shouldn't surround yourself with people who think just like you. And that's what I, you know, I'm hoping to do here in Lawrence Talks, uh, with Lawrence Talks. And that's what, what I was so appreciative as, as an undergrad, having that kind of environment where you're around a lot of thoughtful people who don't agree with you. That's something, I think, because it's really easy to develop some sort of counter-argument or caricature uh, uh, for, for a fictitious interlocutor. It's much harder to respond to somebody in flesh and, you know, who's there and, and with flesh and blood who, who actually can, like, res- you know, have something to say about your counter-arguments and stuff like that. And having a long-term commitment to surrounding yourself with people who disagree with you, I think, is is critical for avoiding the kinds of problems that, that hate points to, this idea that, that, you know, sometimes experts just become really good at justifying their own positions. Now, uh, is that sufficient? Probably not. Um, and, and, but that, again, you know, is, is why I think philosophy as a discipline is important, because one way of thinking about philosophy is thinking about it as, as a method of questioning first principles. Uh, and subjecting everything that you believe to a certain amount of scrutiny. That doesn't mean you're going to reject it at the end of the day, but you're going to think through, um, you know, why I hold the various beliefs that I do. That's, I, and, and I think there, there's, there's a value to that. And again, just because, in the same way that, just because uh, I think some doctors mess up, it doesn't mean that the field of medicine uh, itself is is bad right so so in the middle of the phaedo socrates has this discussion of misanthropy and misology so the hatred of human beings and the hatred of reason and he says oftentimes people who become misanthropes people uh, why people develop a hatred of other people is because they have bad experiences with a few people then generalize to the entire uh, human race and that that's irrational right in the same way, just because some people who reported to be experts uh, and, you know, didn't actually come to the truth doesn't mean that that's fundamentally impossible. Uh, that means we perhaps uh, need to revise our methods. Maybe we need to recognize that some experts uh, didn't do a very good job. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question how we kind of tell non-experts how to deal with with situations in which experts fail. I think that's that's a really fruitful conversation to have. But but yeah, that's that's I guess some of my thoughts on on, on Jonathan Haidt's work. It reminds me of Aristotle's reasons he gave for confronting the sophists. He says, look, if these sophists if they're gonna discourage the, these beginners, then they're not even gonna think it's possible. And so we have to make an answer. And even if it's a long and arduous process, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's impossible. But that's why we, he gives this answer and why each of us, hopefully, uh, should not give in to discouragement, um, even though it's so tempting, but to recognize it and know, indeed, it's a long process, but it's a, it's a process worth having. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and so one of the other things I wanted to sort of have our conversation uh, turn on is this question about, so we, we've discussed a little bit about um, where we need to sort of agree on to even... Um, find these discussions fruitful. Namely, we need to agree on that there is some value to these discussions, that uh, some uh, agreement can be found, and that they should turn on uh, certain uh, ideals, of, uh, ideals of truth and of fact. Um, but 
Is there any other area where agreement is necessary? Um, or and are there areas where we can sort of maintain this sort of uh, this idea of overlapping consensus that we don't necessarily have to agree on these fundamental or metaphysical um, groundings? Or is is agreement at that level necessary? Uh, do I do I need to have a uh, sort of some form of agreement with, with the religious uh, or with the Catholic about um, human nature being founded on um, this relationship with God um, and, the, and the various uh, metaphysical system that they, they have built. Um, do I need to agree with the Aristotelian? Um, or, or can we maintain at least, can we... Uh, have these fruitful discussions and have uh, good results, uh, meaningful results, without agreeing at those at those fundamental levels. Yeah, I think that's a great question because, of course, the the, the discipline of philosophy is dedicated to questioning how we we get at truth in the first place. And so, perhaps, I guess, as 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 a promissory note or a, provet, a provisional proposal for us here, I would say something like, look. It is foundational. You have to believe uh, that it is possible to discover truth and it's possible that you are reason responsive and therefore I think you, you should have good reason to suspect that other people are reason responsive. That if you present them good reasons for holding a particular belief, that they'll accept it. And the reason you should accept this is because it's self-refuting not to. It's almost incoherent not to accept that. So whatever else you want to talk about You've got to assume, again, and you do make this assumption, right? No one believes things that they think are false. It's impossible to believe something that you think is false. It's impossible to believe something that you think ha you have no reason for holding. I mean, I, and, and again, this is perhaps an exercise in introspection, but think about that yourself. Is it possible for me to believe something that I know is false and that I have, or that I have no reason to believe whatsoever? And if your answer to that question is no, all the beliefs, I, I have some reason to believe all of the things that I believe, or else I wouldn't believe them. Again, maybe you maybe you introspect, you find you don't actually have good reasons to believe certain things, but of course, that just means that you were reason responsive in such a case. Uh, that means it's possible, right, to, to change your mind, and you can change your mind for good reason, and that's what rationality is. And that's perhaps the basic you know, underlying ground. That's perhaps the foundation off which we need to work if we're going to have productive discourse in our society. Because most other things, you know, it's going to be difficult, you know, even even very, very methods that we use to get at truth, you know, there's going to be disagreements. There are going to be disagreements about the nature of truth. There's going to be disagreements uh, about how we understand truth uh, or, or discover truth. But perhaps there has to be this baseline assumption that we are reason responsive and that other people can be reason responsive as well. Thanks, Michael. I, I would totally agree. I think we have to at least have this initial belief, this agreement that we can know truth, that it is possible to attain. I have, as you mentioned, philosophers going back to Aristotle and the ancient Greeks and held our dignity. That is what made us different from the animals, was that we had this ability to use reason and that was, the, in a sense, the foundation of our dignity. Christianity also built on that tradition and believes that yes, we can know truth and this ability to know with reason is itself a sharing in God's own reason in the Logos. 
Difficulty is, of course, and, and I would argue further though, is because it's so difficult to use reason, it's hard work, as you mentioned, it takes practice, there's going to be lots of disagreements, lots of fights. I think you also need to believe or agree that every human person has inherent dignity. And yes, I think ultimately you should be able to see that other people can use reason, but what happens when people aren't reasonable? Does that mean that they lose their rights, that they lose their dignity? What is it that keeps you at the table with them? For Christians, it's that ultimately they're still a child of God. They have this inherent dignity because they were created by God, even if it was over you know, billions of years from the, the Big Bang or through evolution. We have our bodies. Um, that we have this spiritual dignity or this soul. Um, obviously, a lot of people are not religious. Uh, but I still think that's something that we need to talk about because if we don't have this agreement on the inherent dignity of human beings, well then we've, we, we see throughout history what results, um, whether it's denying that certain races are fully human or the, the barbarians in the ancient Greek, that, or even women in certain times, that they didn't have this full rational capacity and therefore they weren't fully human and they lacked the dignity and rights. Um, so what is the ultimate you know, foundation? I think, that's, you know, I think that's something we have to have some agreement on um, or else we will lose heart in the long arduous process of coming to know truth, of discussing our differences. Uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Uh, the, that having this sort of belief that there uh, human beings are, uh, that there, there is this dignity to human beings and that we should respect uh, human beings as such, um, as rational creatures, as people who have uh, goals, who have, have um, wants and desires that uh, are looking to survive and, and, and live amongst each other, um, and that they are deserving of, of our respect, even if we disagree with them, even if we um, have these fundamental uh, disagreements, the overlapping sort of fabric um, that could support these discussions or support even coming together, to, uh, coming to the table uh, with people we disagree with is that the person across from us uh, is deserving of our respect, is, is, uh, has this, there's this presumption of uh, that they deserve this sort of di dignity to them. Um, and that's in, I think there are multiple strands and multiple foundations that lead us to that conclusion, that lead us to that belief, whether we're starting from a religious uh, foundation or a naturalist or atheistic foundation. Um, respecting human beings is, I think, a focal point that, uh, or a point of conversion that we should and could all come uh, come to uh, converge on, and that can really spear um, and and move our discussions uh, further. Um, with that in mind, uh, gentlemen, thank you for uh, being part of our first uh, podcast for Lawrence Talks. Um, if any of our listeners have uh, any questions or any comments that they would like to add to this discussion. Uh, this podcast will be uploaded to our website, lawrencetalks.org. Uh, again, I've been your host, David Tamez, and I've been joined by Mike Allison uh, and Dr. Luke Murray. Uh, thank you, everyone.